Welcome to the Adoption Today podcast. I'm Carrie Wilds. I'm Karen Lear. We do real talk on adoption and this journey called parenting. Hi, thanks for joining us today. We are lucky enough to be here with Jessica Alvarez. She is a registered clinical social work intern who works with adoption-related services and helps families um, and children who are working through trauma. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm actually really interested to hear like all we have to talk about today because I don't, I know a little bit, but I, there's so much I don't know. Even like how we were talking before, yeah. before we started, there's just so many things that people don't know that I think this is such important information. So yeah. we're really excited to kind of ask all these questions and learn a bunch of stuff from you today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually excited to be here because I know that um, as we were talking early, the, the whole adoption, uh, adoption competent services, a lot of people have not heard the term. And when we talk with parents, they are um, surprised to hear that that term comes about and they will ask more about what is it and mm-hmm. how can I get it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So before we talk about that, which that'll be our first thing we talk about, what is your um, official title? I think we said it, but what, like, what is that and That's how I mean. did you get into what you do and, um, you know, therapy and things like that? Tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about your background. So I am a registered clinical social work intern, which means that I um, graduated from, from an MSW program, so Master's of Social Work. And after you graduate with your MSW, you do um, a certain amount of clinical hours, you take a couple of exams, and then you become licensed. So um, it's really, I think, for purposes of like the state tracking it and just kind of making sure that people are experienced and knowledgeable before they you know, become <laughs> licensed, obviously. Right. And so, um, like I said earlier, I'm at, I think, about my 1,500 hours, which means that I am about to be licensed after I you know, pass the exam. Congrats. So, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. What does MSW stand for? Uh, Masters of Social Work. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then there's other. There's another degree with more letters. What's that one? Um, Isn't there? There's something. There's people who have um, their uh, marriage and family therapists, and they become licensed marriage and family therapists, oh, and so that's okay. LMFT. So you'll kind of see uh, different acronyms thrown around. Okay. And stuff so like MFW. Right? MSW. MSW. Yeah, MSW, and then there's LMFT or MFT, um, which some people in our agency have MFTs. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. There's so many letters. <laughs> yeah, there are. I'm but, like, what do they all mean? Yeah. Um, and so you said you kind of fell into therapy, which yeah. I think is a funny way of putting it. So yeah, I kind of fell give us into therapy. <laughs> um, I did not want to be a therapist when I left my MSW program. Um, there's a lot of pressure to walk into somebody's home and know that you kind of have this, mm-hmm. it's almost like a burden on your shoulders and they are looking to you to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really didn't want that pressure right out of school. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, my specialty was in what's called pupil personnel services in California. And so that's uh, school social work. And so that's kind of what my internship was for two years. And um, so I really wasn't looking to to do therapy. But uh, when I came here to Florida about two years ago, um, I applied for a case management position just to kind of get my foot in the door and kind of see what was going on here in Florida in in this field. And um, 
they actually asked me, the counseling director said, I don't want you to waste your MSW. I want you to get your hours and become licensed if you'd like to. And I'm like, sure, I'll give it a shot and see what it's like. And so they kind of were the ones that like, don't waste your MSW, <laughs> um, just doing case management services. And so they um, told me, we'll guide you through it. My supervisor is excellent and she's been amazing. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you're from, are you from California originally? Yes. Okay, yes. what part? Uh, San Diego. Oh, the perfect place on earth. It is. It is. <laughs> it is definitely the perfect place the, on the earth. The perfect weather year round. Absolutely, yeah. This is like San Diego and Tampa, though, in the, in the in winter. In January. Scott always yes, says it that. Is. It's like a cheap man San Diego in yes. the winter. Yes, it is. It is very nice here. And then nice here. the humidity yeah. comes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, different. Yeah. But there's a lot of places in San Diego that are humid. Like, the oh, really? valley of certain places in San Diego are very, very humid. Hmm. Yeah, so well, you can get hot there too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And how long have you been in Florida? Two years. Okay. Yeah. Did you did you just want to change or like how did you end up getting here? Um, We're so, like asking you all these personal questions. No worries. Um, so it is. I'm it, nosy. So it I has like been know. a journey. So um, so my mom actually um, battled uterine cancer for about seven years, and um, for a long time she wanted to come live here because my sister's been here for about 13 years. She loves it here. His, uh, her husband's family is here. Mm. Um, and so she never got the chance to, she passed away a couple years ago. And so just to be closer, um, you know, cause I have my daughter, she has her four kids. It was easier for me to come here and be with them instead of them going over there. Oh, that's so. Nice. Yeah. so you mentioned you have a daughter mm-hmm. and she is, yeah. she's 15, 15. Yeah. Teenager. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and she is adopted. She is adopted. Yes. This is cool. Yeah. And you she was how old when you adopted her? She was 8 when she came to us uh-huh. um and we adopted her probably like 6 to 7 months after that and she was yeah. what what they call in California legally free. So she was in an adoptive placement um and that was supposed to be her forever family and mm-hmm. then she um that kind of uh, disrupted and she was put up three months later to another placement and we happen to be the lucky ones to you know be placed with her so oh cool that's wonderful that's very cool and so then you like you said it is probably kind of overwhelming to walk into somebody's house and provide therapy because you really don't know what you're walking into Mm -hmm. right so what kind of therapy do you provide what do you what is your typical I guess your typical caseload like okay Um, so at adoption related services, what we do is we focus on providing attachment focused therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that is kind of what I would call like an umbrella term for, um, the kind of therapy that we do. And so essentially adoption or attachment focused, um, therapy is really bringing in the family and the child in you know an in-home kind of setting and doing different types of therapy not just sitting there talking about issues over and over again and so a lot of people will say well we really are specifically looking for play therapy Mm -hmm. and we'll kind of explain well yes um we do play therapy we incorporate play therapy with our kind of therapy um and so we really in, in counseling we take different strips of different types of modalities of treatment anyway Mm -hmm. and we use them whether it's cbt solution focused therapy like just different kinds of things and we put them all together and we treat the the overall situation and so um i know a lot of parents have asked like do you do 
do you do PCIT? And um, we don't specifically just focus on PCIT and there's not a lot of people who are trained in PCIT at our agency, but our supervisor is and she will voluntarily train um, specifically the whatever counselor needs to be trained in PCIT if that opportunity arises. But and we, what is that? Um, it's called it's parent-child interaction therapy. Um, and it's really like the child and the parent are playing and they kind of have like a microphone in their ear and the therapist is kind of like coaching them oh, on wow. what to do. Oh, yeah. So is this typically with, are you typically working with um, adoptive families or foster families or like a mix? It's a mix. Both? It's a mix. Um, I have families who have reunified. I have families who are um, going for adoption, families who have adopted a year later, they're mm-hmm. asking for services, 10 years, 15 years later, whatever mm-hmm. it is we have. Um, just different kinds of clients. We also have other clients who they're not adoption related at all. And they happen to come to us through other providers who just think that we are capable of handling the situation. Hmm. So I have like one on my caseload right now that is just not related to adoption, but it is part of kind of what I do. And, um, and so sometimes people will ask, um, like specifically, like I speak Spanish, so I can do therapy in English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's not a lot of Spanish speaking therapists. And so they'll specifically refer those people to me or, or my agency and they'll they'll ask me to take the case. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Because I think a lot of people don't realize that attachment is a really, really big thing. Mm-hmm. And any child that is either in foster care and going to be adopted or even babies who were adopted at birth, like Mm -hmm. there's an attachment that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And especially like in foster care, if that is disrupted or if it doesn't happen when they're born, Mm -hmm. then it's difficult for them to attach to anybody, which causes a humongous amount of problems as their life goes on. Mm -hmm. So that's what, you know, I'm sure you see that all the time. So I think like being able to repair that is amazing. Right. And I think that you're, you're absolutely right. The attachment uh, piece is the biggest piece um, when we're talking about foster care and adoption and all that. And even with people who have their own biological kids, like mm-hmm. if you cannot meet your child's emotional, physical needs, like they can have serious problems, you know? And so that piece of it is so important. So that's why we do therapy from that perspective, like everything else, like, Um, You know, when people say like, well, lying and stealing and all that stuff. Yes, those are all not just like behaviors. They are related at some level to some kind of like attachment issue. Mm -hmm. Um, It may be serious, like it may be RAD, which is reactive attachment disorder. And it may just be some minor underlying attachment issues, but it's, you know, it's attachment issues nonetheless. Yeah. So those are all kind of examples of kids reaching out who need help. Right, they're trying to say I'm uncomfortable. I don't have boundaries, or something's going on. Right. Or, so yeah. the lying um, and manipulation piece of, especially with kids who have reactive attachment disorder, is the um, survival kind of mechanism that they function in. Mm-hmm. And so they, their basic kind of thought process is, I don't trust adults because mm-hmm. adults have never met my needs. So I don't need anybody to meet my needs. I just meet my own needs. Mm -hmm. And so that looks like defiance, lying, stealing, manipulating, cheating, all of that stuff. It's Mm self-protective though. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And that's why a lot of times, especially the older kids, get moved from place to place because they keep doing that. Mm -hmm. And people think it's just bad behavior when you know, they're just trying to protect themselves because of all the trauma that they've gone through. So it just, they just keep 
wanting to get moved because they don't feel like anybody's going to want to keep them anyway. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to protect themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So without getting into, because you can't obviously treat this over the, you know, over a podcast, but what kind of steps do you take? What's the approach, I guess? And and how do you start helping somebody who has, you know, been through something like that? So our first step, I'll kind of explain it to you from our agency and how, what they do. Um, but our first step is, you know, the referral is made, they contact the, um, the person, the, the front office person, and um, she's really good about getting them in for an assessment. Mm-hmm. A licensed clinical social worker uh, is the one who does the assessment. Um, these people specifically like focus on the bigger picture. So not just what symptoms or behaviors are they presenting with right now. So if you get Baker acted and, you know, uh, the child or the person says, you know, I'm sad or I'm this, that, the other, the person who is assessing them will only look at what's happening right now, uh, mm-hmm. typically. And so, of course, they'll get some history and stuff like that, but we go way back and um, we luckily have access to like CBHAs and stuff like that and, and child studies. And so um, we're able to kind of look way back into the history and look at the bigger picture. So they do the assessment um, and then they figure out which therapist is the best fit. So every therapist is different. There's different areas. And then once that's done, um, they come up with a diagnosis. Depending on the diagnosis, the therapist goes in and for the first couple of sessions, they kind of talk about what are their concerns, Mm -hmm. what the parents would like to see. So therapy is always um, kind of like client-driven. And so what we do is we ask the clients, what what are the issues? What would you like to see? So if lying is an issue to you, what are you really wanting to see? And we kind of scale it. So on a scale of zero to 10, how many times if mm-hmm. you were to ask your child to tell the truth, are they lying? And some parents say like, they're lying every time. <laughs> so then we know that their ability to not lie or tell the truth is at a zero. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we scale them at. So, mm-hmm. and, and we'll say like, we want the child to reduce uh, or to um, tell the truth. Uh, nine out of 10 times by, you know, in six months from now. And so that's kind of what we will um, go through and we'll do each kind of behavior that is really concerning and we'll kind of tie it all together and, um, and we'll do the treatment plan. And then from there, you know, in the treatment plan, we specifically do the objectives that we're, we're going to um, kind of meet and then we'll talk about the interventions that we're going to use and um, it's really up to the parents and the the, uh, clinician to decide what um, kind of treatment they I guess want or favor Mm -hmm. so and because attachment is such a like you said a big chunk of this Mm -hmm. is that is that where it typically starts like okay now it is now you have to work on feeling safe with who's providing care for you absolutely so um the attachment focus piece is always incorporated so uh if you have a child who has you know some attachment issues and they're trying to meet their own needs which you know they look defiant and Mm -hmm. parents want them to follow the rules Mm -hmm. or follow directions uh, nine out of ten times um so what, what we first start to do is start to really look at like when are they being defiant and are they being defiant during transitions is there something else going on and so we kind of like walk through each kind of um, situation that is occurring most often with the parents and kind of give them tips and tools to use. Um, And then we sometimes um, speak to the children alone, but that's 
really, we do more family therapy. Yeah. And so we don't ever, um, you know, I, I won't say we don't ever, but I will say that I most often try not to just pull the child into their room and talk to them mm-hmm. and do activities with them. And part of that is because that's not really, a, um, attachment focus, mm-hmm. right? They don't need to be attached to me because I'm going to leave in, you know, six to nine, maybe a year. Um, and, if they trust me and they're listening to me, then I have just failed the client, mm-hmm. you know, and the parents because they now have absolutely no tools and no right. leverage um, to work with their child. And so that's that's all it is, is we're really kind of like almost like a shadow behind these parents and kind of just guiding them and teaching them how to do what um, what what is necessary to um, kind of address the behaviors and mm-hmm. very in very kind of what I would call subtle ways because you never want to abruptly just, you know, like, you know, parents who are like, no, no, don't do this. Get off of there. Don't, you know, uh, those kind of things. So we, we do it in a way that we can teach the parents how to be therapeutic. That's awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is awesome. Do you do toddler defiance training? Um, we wouldn't call I have it... two toddlers that are uh, defiant yeah. sometimes. <laughs> we wouldn't call it toddler defiance training. I'm not very like, good at, like, clinical terms. Yeah, <laughs> no, but we... We do. We uh, we definitely work. I think those are my favorite clients to work with because I always get parents who are like, my toddler is throwing tantrums all day, nonstop about everything. They're just crying. And I'm like, they're toddlers. Yeah. Um, Developmentally you know, normal. <laughs> that's the one thing. Um, the other thing is like, is it concern? Is it to a level that it's concerning? And so um, one of the things I always do is I have my, you know, little chart where I put what is a concern? What is normal developmentally? And I remind parents, our children who are, uh, who are you know, foster kids, adoptive kids who have been through trauma are emotionally immature. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a child who is four and they were adopted, most likely they're like two if they've uh-huh. had some kind of trauma emotionally. Mm-hmm. So some kids are very mature, what I would call intellectually, mm-hmm. um, but other kids are, you know, while they are intellectually mature, they're very emotionally immature. That's a really good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something to help keep in mind when you're the parent, because I'm sure it gets so frustrating, because like you said, if the Absolutely. child is bright mm-hmm. and gets it and is, une- you know, able to understand what you're saying, why can't they do it? Yeah. But that's one of the yeah. reasons. Yeah. yeah. And that emotional intelligence, we'll mm-hmm. have to do a different that's, podcast I was just on that. Say that. But that's like fascinating, mm-hmm. is, um, you know, just to see like how you can improve that and how it all happens and how, you know, things that can affect it. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think too, like something that people don't think of is when, like if you're adopting and you have biological children, you have to potentially parent them much different than you had your own children that are biological. Like I only have adopted kids. So like, and they're little, so like we have only, you know, experienced Mm -hmm. one situation, but I know we have friends who are like, man, we thought we knew how to parent all kids and then we adopted or we're fostering and we have to take a totally different approach mm-hmm. to actual yeah. like parenting. Yeah, yeah. And so I think like, you know, the, the whole, the toddler issue is just something that's oh people are always so worried about mm-hmm. and it's kind of like you, you just have to really consider what they've been through and, and their mm-hmm. emotional development at that point. Yeah, I think it's tricky to know too you know, how, what is actually affecting the child? Is it because they were in the foster system Mm -hmm. or adopted? Or is it, like you said, just here's the age they're at? Like, you know, you can experience that. So sometimes it's, I know it's really just like hard to diagnose like, okay, where's this behavior coming from? And is it like something I really need to address that's, you know, potentially detrimental to them? Or 
is it just their four and they're yeah. being, or they're three and they're being a three nature, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, um, while you were mentioning, you know, where are they at emotionally? Um, I have a lot of parents who say, you know, what do I do? They're crying at night. I put them in the bed. They don't want to lay down. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, let's think about this from a biological standpoint. If you had birthed this child, um, and they were crying at night, what would you do? And a lot of parents say, well, I would just let them self-soothe. And mm-hmm. so I just want to make it very clear that that is a myth and we don't let children self-soothe. We want to pick them up and we want to rock them and we want to meet their needs because that meeting the needs is the attachment piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and the attachment piece is the basis for every single relationship they will ever, ever have in their entire life for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I've had parents say like, well, you're telling me that I have to pick up this three-year-old who's crying and slapping me and rock them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like if you need to do that, in then that yes. Yeah, yeah. You just soothe them as much as you can. And, um, you know, parents have a really hard time and it's absolutely, you know, I totally agree with them sometimes where they're like, I just can't stand to look at them when they're hitting me and tearing up the room and stuff like that. And I'm like, yes. And so that's why you have to kind of check yourself emotionally too. Mm-hmm. And we and you show how parents how to do that, how to check yeah. yourself emotionally so that you can, you know, be emotionally responsive and sensitive to that child in the moment. And then you start to see an improvement in the child. How, Absolutely. How, I mean, I know every situation is different, so this is probably not, you know, a question that's easy to answer, but how... When, when do you typically see that? Like, what kind of results do you see? Um, I have seen very quick results. I have had um, some families who do their results come in um, a month or two. Mm-hmm. I've had families who take a very long time. Mm-hmm. It does depend on the child, mm-hmm. and it does depend on the parents. Um, we've had parents who, like, sometimes they, they are so not emotionally where they need to be Mm -hmm. that they are unable to and so we have to get them there first and then be open to doing these things before progress can be made and sometimes that takes a long time because it's really a family problem it's not just a child problem like Mm -hmm. you said if it were you could pull the child into the room do their therapy and then leave and be like bye fix him (laughs) but it's how they're relating to each other yeah and and even then like when you say like you know you can in in kind of traditional therapy it's been where you know you pull the child into a room you talk to them separately and then you um kind of like send them on their way with their family but even when you have a biological family who comes to you with issues it Mm -hmm. should still always be attachment focused therapy all Mm -hmm. the time all the time yeah well and it there's like each family has a different dynamic and it's going to affect the entire family Mm -hmm. if one person is having like significant behavior problems or if you're bringing in an adoptive child who then there's other children who then like react to that yeah Yeah. so the whole it's like you know I totally agree like it's a whole process of working with the entire family Mm -hmm. because otherwise it's just going to cause problems and if there's a marriage like people are tired you know so then it just kind of snowballs into well it brings up traumas that the parents have because everybody grew up with some kind of thing yeah something and you get triggered by different things right you know so so we we tell parents to like especially foster parents like if you know that you have things that really bother you or really trigger you know them and acknowledge them know them well because Mm -hmm. these kids especially foster kids will find them and they will push any child will oh yeah they like sniff it they sniff it out and i'm like because it's your reaction to it yeah like i know that with calvin like i'll do something 
Um, and then if I react severely, I made this mistake when he was a small baby, well, like a two-year-old, I would react, don't do that. Yeah. And he would get mad. He sometimes would scratch himself or something like, oh, just, you know, angry. Yeah. And the first couple times he did it, I would say, no. And I'd pick him up. And then my reaction, he was like, oh. I got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She doesn't like she that. She doesn't like mm-hmm. that. So I'm going to do that yeah. again. So you yeah. really, but they are so smart. Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah. They so, are. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, they are. Like my girls, like if, like my oldest, she'll be, if she doesn't like something, she'll be like, mommy, you're not my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like, Can't I know. Take if, it first yeah, <laughs> but if you, if they do, if they know something bothers you. Yeah. yeah. But how intelligent do. is that to right. say you're not my friend? And now she knows, like, that's really going to hurt her because I know yeah. she really wants to be my friend. <laughs> I know. You know? And they're three. Like, yeah. They started yes. doing that, like, when they turned three. Like, mm-hmm. or it's funny because, like, things that she likes. If I'm doing, if she doesn't like something I'm doing, like if I'm like, you have to pick up your toys or whatever, she'll be like, mommy, I'm not giving you any chocolate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or like all the things she likes. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you any popsicles, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And yeah. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, but it's so yeah. funny. Like they try to they, manipulate a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And, and I mean, um, and those things are still kind of like a little cute and you can right. kind of like, oh, that's cute. And then um, but you know, with my daughter, I had her when she was eight. And uh-huh. so I specifically remember her. Um, saying something like, will you play a game with me? And I said, I already told you, I am not going to play a game with people who lie and cheat during the game. Mm-hmm. And she said, you're so pathetic, you don't even want to play a game with your own daughter. Oh, wow. I was she like, was hitting below the belt. Yeah. Ooh. And so um, I'm sure there's people out there listening who are thinking like, that's what they are going through. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets really really frustrating sure, for them because um, you're human and you're like yeah okay yeah and you're like whoa and it happens multiple times a day and so that's kind of what what um you know why it's so important the adoption competent services is because it's like you have to have somebody a therapist who can come in and know that you know when the parent is dealing with behavior like that and mm-hmm. they're so frustrated and so yeah. tired that they become a, a particular type of parent who responds mm-hmm. a certain way. Sometimes that comes off that, you know, alarming to other people and CPIs are called and all these things happen. And if you have the wrong therapist who is not adoption competent, they will walk in there and call CPI. And what you, is CPI? Uh, child protective. Oh, child protective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so I've had plenty of times where parents say like, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that we're getting different services because every time therapists come in here, they always say that it's our fault. It is certainly well, that's not never. Helpful. Yeah. It's not helpful. And, and you know, you get a child who's, you know, older and they come with their behaviors. You didn't cause those, mm-hmm. you know, and yes, some of them may not be addressed in the correct manner, but you still did not cause those problems. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us like the definition of adoption, competent, competent services. services. I know what we said. We were, I said we were going to do it at the beginning. Yeah. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but like, what does that actually mean? Uh, it pretty much means that um, the people who are trained, it's called Adoption Competency Training Act. And so our agency holds a training, uh, I think I want to say every three to six months, depending on who is coming into our agency and stuff like that. And they um, have people from different agencies around in the surrounding areas who also come and attend. But that training is basically going through, you know, hours of just really focusing on the different dynamics of adoption, the grief and loss, and, um, you know, the behaviors and the defiance and, um, the uh, whole, just the whole dynamics from beginning to end, what they went through when they were removed and, mm-hmm. and um, what they went through, multiple placements and just really 
kind of focusing on the clinical part of um, the whole adoption process from the beginning to the end and the mm-hmm. different dynamics of it. And so it's not just um, that you go to this training and you're like, now I'm adoption competent. It's like you really have to use it in practice. And mm-hmm. so um, being able to, as a counselor, come into a situation where you see the way that the parent treats the child um, and then see the way the child treats the parents and look at the bigger picture and say, what's really wrong is the trauma and the attachment issues. And it's not the fact that the mom is being mean. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, the child is mean. And, you know, so the mom is responding accordingly or the dad is responding accordingly. And so that's why they're kind of being mean. Um, and so does this kind of look like abuse? Does it not? And, you know, there's so many fine lines and it becomes very convoluted. Mm-hmm. It really shouldn't be like that. It's like I'm here for a specific reason. There are behaviors. There's trauma. There's all these other things. And um, is this a situation where it is, you know, borderline abuse um, is really what you're questioning at that point uh, in, re- in normal counseling. But then when you're adoption competent, you know, you're really kind of taking a step back and saying, like, I can see how somebody could say that this is a, a bad situation, but it's not. There are deep issues at that point mm-hmm. and that are kind of affecting the whole dynamics of the family. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like deeper than what you see at the surface kind oh, of sure. yeah, when you walk in. Yeah, so. and it can be repaired you know, with what you all do with the right therapy. But a lot of times, sometimes it just isn't. And then adoption, they call it disruption, where they're Mm -hmm. basically you, if it's a situation that's like a family can't handle, they'll like unadopt essentially. And then the child goes back to the foster system. They'll return the child to foster care is what people say most often. Um, We always tell parents, they call us and they will ask us certain things like that. And we'll say that that's not a thing. (laughs) If we don't return children to foster care, like what is it that you need? And we kind of help them get back to where they were before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's really what what we're looking at. Like Mm -hmm. as adoption uh, adoption competent providers is, this is not just a parent who's calling me and saying like, you know, I can't do it anymore. It's what is, you know, beneath the surface Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, so you want to make sure like... You want to intervene before absolutely you get to that point where absolutely. it's like we're at our wits' end, mm-hmm. yeah, we can't do this anymore, like you need to be brought in mm-hmm. way sooner than that. So what are the different ways that that families find you guys because it's you know it's kind of one of those things when you're in the situation you're you're like, what do I do? I don't know who to contact, like what's the best resource and yeah. it's not always clear where to find people, so how do people go so, about that so whenever people are looking for adoption competent services in their area um they should always try to find their post-adoption team in their area and so ours is um luckily it's in our agency but um so you contact the post-adoption team and you ask them specifically that you need an adoption competent therapist um, or provider who is able to help you and you kind of describe the situation and they should be able to really try to find you somewhere where it's adoption competent and that they're able to give you those services. And then, um, you know, specifically for us, a lot of people from, um, from like Eckerd, they refer us. So a lot of the case managers from Eckerd, Directions for Living, Devereaux, all those places who have cases, they are calling us and giving us referrals. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of our clients, so, um, 
you know, we have clients who have been with us for years because the way our agency works is once you close with us, you have an open case and you close with us, you can come back at any time as oh, long as a child has Medicaid. And sometimes I think we take different insurances, but um, mostly it's like the Medicaid for the children that, you know, when you have your Medicaid, when they when you adopt the child, keep it. Um, my best advice to people out there is to not get private insurance on top of the Medicaid because ah. it will cancel out the Medicaid. Um, really? It won't really cancel it out, but it will cancel it out when you're trying to get services. Mm -hmm. And so like our agency, hmm. when we have people who have private um, insurances, they oftentimes can't get services with our agency because... Uh, their private insurance won't pay and Medicaid won't pay because it's now secondary to the private insurance. Right, and the private insurance so, has, takes precedent yeah. first to cover whatever the main mm -hmm. stuff is. Sometimes we can work around it, but most of the time um, it's really tricky and it's really difficult and it's really hard to provide services if we don't know for sure that we have something to kind of go off of. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's a really, really important tip. because yeah. yeah, because when you adopt kids from the foster system, they mm -hmm. have, they get themselves get Medicaid, they get Medicaid until, they're 20, until they're 18. Is it 18 or 21? Until uh, they're 18. And then um, they also, you know, they get their stipend and they get their Medicaid until they're 18. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, unless, so that's good. Because I think some people, you know, like you, I wouldn't know that I should, you know, it's like, oh, it's the same yeah, whether... Right. Or it's probably better. Yeah. But exactly. Not, right. <laughs> and a lot of people, uh, you know, think that uh, that they say, you know, it's better. Um, and yes, the private insurance is probably better, better for like medical services, mm -hmm. but for behavioral health, you know, uh, Medicaid has kind of like, in my opinion, allocated particular agency, like particular services uh, or funds for particular agencies that they know are able to work with these kids. And so you're kind of like excluding your kid from the services that are yeah. actually out there for them by doing that. So hmm. um, it's just easier to just keep the Medicaid. Yeah. Uh, for behavioral health, it does really well. I will say that um, a lot of things are different about California and Florida, but that's mm -hmm. one of the things that Florida kind of wins in that mm -hmm. aspect is that their Medicaid for behavioral health is way better than the one in California. Ah. Yeah. I do want to hear a little bit about California because yeah. I don't like, you know, since we're in Florida, like I know about Florida, but, mm -hmm. um, we have people who listen from all over. So I think that's yeah. interesting. Like that could be a whole nother yeah, absolutely. podcast, but yeah. since you're in both locations, kind mm -hmm. of what are some of the differences that you see? Um, the difference is the system. So the foster care system is a little different. We in California, we do what's called concurrent planning. So when a child is removed from care in California, they automatically, um, try to find them the most permanent placement. So they aren't trying to find um, relatives or caregivers that are going to adopt them at the very, very end, at the last minute. Uh, they're doing it as soon as that child is removed. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the point of that obviously is that once a child goes up for adoption, that the child is going to be in the most permanent and stable um, placement. The other thing is that when children get removed, I, I want to say, I don't know if I'm going to get the numbers right, but I can tell you the timeline. So you get six months to do a reunification plan if your child, I think, is under three. Okay. And if they're over three, then you get um, a year. Yeah. And you have to make significant progress on that reunification plan by the time you see the judge. If not, the... Um, the worker on the case is sending it to adoptions and once it gets to adoptions then you have the adoptions 
um, caseworker, which that was one of my positions um, in California, uh, the adoptionist caseworker is looking at, is it detrimental to the child to terminate the parental rights at this point? Mm-hmm. And um, that, that works kind of in a, to an advantage for the child when the, the person is a clinician because you can see the child ha- has no clue who the parent is. Mm-hmm. They've never had visits. Mm-hmm. They don't know anybody related to the family. The family has mental is- health issues, substance abuse, abuse issues, criminal history, all that stuff, and it just would not be an appropriate, um, you know, placement where they reunified. Mm-hmm. So wow, um, so it's yeah. actually so it's actually child focused best interest versus it is biological family best interest. Yeah, yes. mm-hmm. which yeah. is the opposite. Which that totally makes, makes sense. sense. <laughs> <laughs> but here, you're. I mean, that's yeah. what like has kept me up numerous nights. Oh yeah, about. <laughs> me too. Me too, because I um I've had a couple cases where you know we don't have placements for kids, and I'm just like, wait a second. So it it's hard for me as a as a clinician who's doing attachment focused therapy mm-hmm. to do attachment focused child with somebody who is they're not going to be attached to. Yeah, right. You know, so it's like, how do you do that? How do you prepare these kids emotionally yeah. to be successful for the rest of their life if we can't? Bring, give them the other piece, you know, mm-hmm. of it, which is the most permanent plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome, though, that, like, I think especially from the experience you've had in California, like, you coming here, I mean, I think you, even with you, what you know, like, you can, like, make a huge difference in, like, you know, yeah. to me, it's like, okay, Florida, go talk to California and, like, get it figured out. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I said that Because the laws are written for the best interest yeah. of the child. They are. Yeah. But nobody follows them. They definitely and, are. Yeah, the training and, like, how everything is run is not in the best interest of the child. It's mm-hmm. in always for reunification, which isn't always the best interest of the child. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will say, you know, this, that the, I think, political climate in both states have to do with the way that the policies and laws play out, you know? Mm-hmm. So, whereas I think maybe this state is a little bit more biological family focused, um, California is more like focused on the child. And mm-hmm. the, you know? and so I think it's, I think it has to do a lot with the political climate because in California, there are different counties that have different political climates and they're very like opposing and you'll see the difference too, uh, in, in different counties. Cause I've worked in, um, Orange County and San Diego County, which are right next to each other. So, and they're very, very different. Orange County is very conservative. San Diego is very liberal. So you get to see a huge difference there too. Mm-hmm. So, I and that's my my personal opinion. That's what that. I think that that's kind of some of the dynamics yeah. that goes on there too. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. It's very interesting because every state is totally different. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, it's everything is run differently state by state. So, mm-hmm. you know, you think someone would find best practice and just spread it, right? Yeah. Just do that. It's not really. And, <laughs> and I think that that's hard because I had a, I have a really good friend who works for um, still for County of San Diego Child Welfare. We did the adoption. Um, adoption caseworker position together for a while uh, until I moved here but she's from Chicago um, and she says Chicago's process is like Florida's process but she said but it works so because um, I was describing to her she said we don't have concurrent planning in, in Chicago either or you know Illinois and she said we don't have it there either and 
Um, she's like, but it works and things kind of work out. And she was kind of describing it there. And I was like, I still don't get it. I don't get how, you know, they have it together. And then, you know, Florida is very different. And so, um, but I guess I don't, I'm not in there, so I don't really know what mm-hmm. it's like. So that's just her perspective of it. But, um, yeah. Hmm. I just prefer California's way of doing sure. the whole foster care thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure that is very frustrating. Um, because like you said, you're trying to provide a service that you really can't always give to somebody who's bouncing from home to mm-hmm. home and that's in a foster care situation. Um, what, that's a frustrating part of your job. What is a part of your job that you love? What's your favorite thing? Like what lights um, you up? I will say that like, I really like this kind of stuff. So the fact that I'm able to have an opportunity to just kind of talk about some of the things that really are going on in my head daily. Um, And so just getting to kind of get it out there and then, you know, that hopefully some of the people who are listening are able to pick up the phone and call post-adopt services or call us Mm -hmm. so that we can get them the services that they need Uh, because it's really important. You know, there's so many parents that are out there. They're frustrated. They're in tears every single day. I know they are. um, because they just don't know where to go at this point. They don't know what to do. So what well, we have a friend um, uh, who we've done an episode with uh, Mary uh, Anderley in Texas, and she currently has a foster placement, but she made a really good point. Um, I think people sometimes have a romantic view mm-hmm. of what foster care or even adoption yeah. is going to, or even parenting is going to be like, and then they get a child in their house and it's a very different situation. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, a lot of parents, like I said, are crying every day, yeah. frustrated, and that's your own grief and loss. Yes. Um, you know, you're grieving the fact that you thought you had, we're going to have this certain, you know, image of what your family was going to be like, and it totally yes. was shattered, you know? Yes. And so there, it is time to grieve that and time to deal with that. And then, you know, move on from there and look forward to what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And we'll make sure we're going to put um, the contact info for your agency mm-hmm. and these resources in our um, show, notes. show notes and description because that's the thing I hear most from, you know, like foster and adoptive parents is like, what do we do? Like, we don't know. And you don't mm-hmm. always get the help you need yeah. in a timely fashion or a fashion at all, you know, mm-hmm. from, you know, case management or whatever because they're overloaded and stuff. So I think mm-hmm. it's just... The resources are there, but I think it's knowing about them before you yeah. need them. They definitely that are is difficult. There. Yeah. yeah, they definitely are there. Um, our post adopt team is awesome. It's headed by Karen Neville, who is um, she has had so many different positions and so many agencies here um, in this area and in you know the Pinellas area. But our post adopt team specifically works with. Um, Hillsboro, Pasco, and Pinellas. But if you pick up the phone and you call our post-adopt team and you're out in Hernando or you're out, you know, wherever you are, we will certainly find your post-adopt person and an agency near you to be able to help you get the services that you need. So you won't be turned away and say, don't call us, call Hernando. You Uh, know, we'll definitely try as best as we can to get you what you need. That's awesome. What a positive thing you do every day. I think that's amazing. I mean, what you're doing for families, for these kids and that, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure like it's so rewarding to walk away from a plan that you've been able to complete with the family and then, you know, they're probably changed the total dynamic of how they operate and behave as a family. That's probably, that's got to be like, 
Yeah. So rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> some do and some some I will say I will say some don't. Mm-hmm. Um and some don't because of different kinds of issues, but we don't ever abandon our families. We always make sure that when we're closing a case, it's because um you know, maybe a family has chosen to send their child to a residential treatment center and maybe we don't always agree as clinicians to send the child to a residential treatment center, but we will support the family and we'll be there when the child comes home from residential to open up the case again and continue services. Hmm. That's fabulous. It's good. It's like yeah. a, a nice safety net. Very mm-hmm. comforting. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely is. And that's the way that it should be. A lot of parents always say like, we have nobody, we don't know what to do. We just completely feel abandoned. We adopted and everybody just kind of right. disappeared. It should not be like that no. at all, mm-hmm. ever. It yeah. should be a big community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Big village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. No, this was so yeah. awesome. I yeah. learned a ton. I did too. I did too. Yeah. I didn't really You'll know. You have to come back and talk to us more. Absolutely. I, I think there's a lot more to say yeah, about kind of you know services and stuff like that. And I don't know if you guys get questions from the people who are listening. Maybe they have something specific yeah. they want to talk about. But yeah. That's a great idea. If you do have a question um, or you're you know, you're, you're in a situation you'd like more information on, um, send us a message and we'll try and um, put a couple of those together and we can go over them mm-hmm. for another, another episode. Yeah, yeah. that would be awesome. Absolutely. Thank you yeah. so much for joining yeah. us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Bye. Bye. See you later.